But anyway, my name, my name is Ben Kioski. I'm the worship pastor here at Cypress Creek Church, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> We're going to continue talking this morning about having peace in exile. We've been talking over the past couple of weeks about what, um, what the exile is and how we can live as people now in our culture as exiles, as members, as, as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it's important, I think, as we look at this Old Testament um, uh, period of time, just in case we haven't checked on it, because sometimes we're not as good stewards as we should be. This is, we're not, when we talk about the exile, we're not talking about the time that the Israelites spent in Egypt. We're talking about a time after that, where the, the Jerusalem had been ravaged, had been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And there were several battles leading up to it. And, and the second, after the second um, siege when Nebuchadnezzar really took over the whole thing and destroyed everything. That's when the, 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 the real sort of exile period started. And uh, the Israelites were, were living in, in, in a place and being governed by uh, uh, an empire that wasn't their empire. Um, they, had, they had been, they, they were in their geographical area, but everything had been taken over by this foreign power. All the things that they had known, all, all, all the things that they were as a people had been turned over. They were in the time of the, right at the end of the kings, these kings had been fighting against the empire and actually, they actually uh, um, joined together with the Egyptians in trying to fight off the Babylonians. It's kind of a turn of events from, the, <laughs> from their captivity. And this was right as the, the kings were, of Israel were taken off their, their political thrones it was the last of the Anayas, as I call them, the Jeconiah and the Hezekiah and all the Ayas, kings. The second one was a word that I just made up. It's not a real word. Jeconiah was a real king. He was the last king before exile. He was the one that was defeated. And so they're, they're in a place where their ruler had been removed and their entire identity had been changed and flipped over. And so as we talk about the exile, we need to get ourselves into that mind space. What would it be like to live in a land that is against who you say that you are? What would it be like to live under a geopolitical power that doesn't respect your God, nor does it honor what he stands for? Does that sound familiar to anyone? So this Old Testament story of exile is not necessarily just a past event in the, distance, in the distance that we can't relate to. And when we talk about things in the Old Testament, we need to remember that it's part of the entire redemptive story of God, that it is 100% relevant to us now. And we are exiles living in a land that is not our own. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living in a world that honors itself and everything else but God. And so as we enter into this story, we take the things from this Old Testament and we say, this is how I approach it anyway, is what does this say to me now? What do I do about it now? How does this relate to me right now in this day and age? And we come to Daniel chapter three and we find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we can use this as a guide for our lives of peace. And we can glean some things from this example. You see, when... when the Babylonians took over the empire. 
took over the Israelites and, and established their empire, destroyed the temple, and he took into captivity the, the, the prominent members of society, spiritual leaders, political leaders, prophets. He took them into captivity in order to sort of, I guess, bring them into the fold of Babylon. And really, it's a power move to show the people that he was in control of those that they respect and those that they follow. And among them, of course, was Daniel, as Sean talked about last week, and these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose names were something else, but Nebuchadnezzar changed it. And these guys spent a lot of time in this exile. They spent a lot of time alone in the jailhouse. And there were many others along with them. And that launches us into this first part of the story and the first part of how we can find peace in exile. And it's, it's by realizing, and this will be the first point of five points of peace that we're going to talk about this morning. I know you just heard me say five points and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm not, we're going to be here for 45 minutes. No, you'll be okay. It'll be fine. I'm not going to talk for 45 minutes unless I keep rambling with the sides like this. But the first is that peace is a result of practice. These guys have been practicing their identity as believers of God behind closed doors long before their day in the sun came. Long before their day in biblical heroness showed up. They'd been practicing following God. They'd already lived as men rooted in their faith and immovable in their devotion to God. And this doesn't mean, of course, that they were inflexible or that they were abrasive, always looking for a fight. As a matter of fact, they weren't looking for a fight. And so I'm not saying that we should be abrasive in our society as we live in peace, because that's kind of the opposite of peace, is it not? The Bible says, blessed be the peacemakers. That's a beatitude, right? Am I getting that wrong? Or is everybody with me? I knew I wasn't getting it wrong. I'm just trying to, you know. <laughs> just trying to relate, make sure y'all are awake. Being up on stage all the time, you get to see people sleep in church, and it's great. <laughs> I just want you to know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's a blessing. Because a lot of times, sometimes I feel like I, I, I want to go to sleep sometimes. So I just, I'm glad that someone feels peaceful enough to have a nap uh, <laughs> during the service. Okay. Moving on. Now we might be 45 minutes. Yikes. Okay, okay. We're only on the first point. Instead, they were contented in their identity as followers of God. They were at peace in their mind and their soul about who God is. And that was a settled and immovable reality in their lives. And that's the, that's the backdrop. That's what comes before their day in the sun. And so for us, is that settled in us? Are we settled that God really is who he says he is? Are we settled that Jesus is actually the answer? I am. And in that, we know that peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Peace does not mean the absence of angst in some situations. These guys were in chaos. They were in a chaotic environment and their entire identity had been ripped apart. So peace comes from the practice of following who God is, who he tells us to be. 
and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I can't always say that about myself, that nothing can make me stumble. But I know that as I pursue great peace through receiving from God, then I can be someone who stands when the storm comes. And so can you. The second point is that peace agrees with God. Peace agrees with God. Our culture does not always agree with God. (laughs) You may have experienced this. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their culture, as well as many of their contemporaries, had many compromises and were even willing to worship other gods rather than disagree with the culture. It was often during that time, and it is even now, that it's much more convenient to go with the flow and allow the culture to dictate our peace. Meaning we won't live in a way that reflects the truth, or we won't speak the truth in boldness because that will make us uncomfortable. And that might make us the outcast. And we would rather be comfortable with a bunch of small things that we acquiesce to And it leads to a loss of our identity to the point where we're unrecognizable of what we claim to be. And that happened with a lot of the people who were in exile with the Israelites. They had something that they were up against that they didn't necessarily know how to handle. Their political structures were broken down and they were under something that seemed completely and totally foreign to them. But it was in this exile that they realized that their political structure and that their governing structure of kings was never about who God actually is. It was a construct that they were given so that they could live with one another in, in peace. And it was, by, it was through those structures that they received the law of God, Right? But it's in this, when those things were ripped away, when their earthly structures that God had given them were taken away, that they realized that God was always the king. And that though we may not have a physical representation of what that looks like, that God is always the king. God is always in control. The Israelites were never at the mercy of a king. And now that this king from from Babylon who had come and conquered them and they were under his authority. They're not at the mercy of that king either. It is in this exile that they realize that God is the one, that they are citizens of heaven. And it's also true with us that we are citizens of heaven. And there is no political structure that we can ascribe to that is going to protect us, that is going to heal us, that is going to love us, and that is going to reconcile us back to God. If we put any of our hope in those things, our hope will fail. But if we put our hope in God, it will not. Peace agrees with God. In Philippians 4, verse 7, of course, verse 6 says that we bring our prayers to him. And then verse 7 says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
And then we have a promise, Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The battle for our peace, the battle for our security in our identity as people of God is a battle of the mind in which we must agree with what God says and the truth of who he says that we are within our exile rather than what our ideas are or what the culture tries to conflate into a spiritual idea. That leads us to our next point, which is that peace is our identity, not our circumstance. At risk of being redundant, we need to understand that the Israelites in the Babylonian exile faced the most extreme identity crisis that people can face. Everything had been destroyed, had been removed, and it was being replaced. Their entire circumstance was changed beyond their control. Their heritage was not only practically destroyed, it was ideologically being replaced actively by a hostile empire. Those who heeded the words of the prophets and lived in agreement with God were the ones who lived in peace, regardless of their circumstance. We turn to Daniel chapter 3, and that's where we find the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, leading up, we're going to look in verses 16 through 18. We're just going to read right through that. Leading up to that, what had happened is King Nebuchadnezzar got tired of people not, uh, you know, ascribing everything to him and worshiping the God of Israel. They didn't, he didn't like that. So he decided to make a big golden statue, which is really weird. And I've never understood why people do that in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's a statue. I don't get it. Uh, but, you know, hey, whatever, you know. A lot of times we, uh, we think intellectually, and this is a complete and total abject lie, that the ancients somehow were intellectually um, subpar to the modern mind. We're told that in our universities and we're told that in intelligentsia all the time, that somehow we're enlightened and have an, 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 a heightened capacity to understand and to think and to observe the world around us. No, we just have iPhones. That's funny. Somebody thought that was funny. That's <laughs> you know, the, these people that we read about in the Word, they're real people. They're like you and me. They have the same capacities to understand. It just took a little longer to get info. You know, somebody had to like run it from town to town, you know. And so as we look at what happened here, Really, it's the same as what sometimes we experience in our culture is that we're told to bow down to an idol. And talking about idols is a completely different topic than what we're talking about today. But that you can think, if you just stop for a second, think of all the idols that we're told to bow to. All the different idols, whether they're tangible or intangible, that we're told to bow to. That's what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar makes this idol. He brings all the governors and all the people, all the prominent folks, the prophets, the everybody, the whoever, the whatever, and all of them and everyone together and says, I'm building this idol. And when you hear the call to worship, essentially, all the different types of music and all this stuff that he lists in there, everybody is to bow down to this idol. And if you don't, 
course, he has to add a consequence. If you don't, then you'll be thrown into the blazing furnace. And of course, there's always tattletales in a kingdom like that. And so there's people that were not doing that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Also, obviously, Daniel was likely not doing that, I would not think. And so he makes the sound and they don't bow down and the tattletales tell King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, these three dudes are not doing the thing. And so he brings them into their, he brings them into the chambers and says, hey, what's your problem? How come you're not doing the thing? Everybody's doing the thing. Why aren't you doing the thing? Even some of your contemporaries are doing the thing. How come you're not doing the thing? And that's where we find ourselves. And then he threatens them. If you don't do the thing, then you're gonna go into the fire. And then they have the sound and then they don't bow down to the thing and it makes Nebuchadnezzar really mad. And then we look at verse 16. If you wanna flip in there, you can. It'll be up on the screen. Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Nebuchadnezzar says to them just before that, and he says, if you don't worship, you're gonna be thrown. If you don't worship that statue, you're gonna be thrown into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and again, these are people just like us. So I like, to, I like to personify this a little bit. You know, these guys were young, anywhere from 13 to 16 maybe, 17 maybe, tops. These guys were young guys, and I like to personify this stuff because these were real people. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm, I imagine, with just a tiny bit of chip on their shoulder, said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> okay, boomer, you know? <laughs> I think that might be the attitude they were coming with, which is incredibly disrespectful, by the way, just a little aside. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now, I don't know if you've ever been, like those of us who are you know, old people, um, you know, we're not currently, you know, running around with a crew really that often. But, you know, remember when you were younger, you ran around with your crew or maybe you had like a lot of siblings. And usually there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's like an advocate. There's someone who does the talking, right? So I don't know who it was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you know, there's, there's probably just one guy doing the, one guy talking smack and the other guy's like, you know, just kind of backing him up, you know, like, yeah, what you, what you got, king? You know what I mean? And so I just imagine, you know, I don't know if this is true and I don't know who it was or whatever, but you know, we got, uh, just, just, just imagine that, you know, Abednego is, is one of the, the cronies that's just over here, right? And Meshach is maybe the mouthpiece, right? And he's talking smack to the king and he says, we don't have to defend ourselves. You throw us into the fire, God will deliver us. And then Abednego's like looking over at Shadrach and he's like, uh, you know, and he just kind of leans forward to old Meshach, who's just running his mouth, you know? Like, if you have brothers, you know what this is like, or sisters, you know? Somebody's talking smack, and you got to back it up no matter what they say. Like, oh, great, you know? He's like, hey, bro, but like, what if, uh, what, what if we didn't die? Like, what if we burned, there's a, it's a fire. What if, we, what if we get burned up in the fire, bro? Like, what's the, what are we going to, what, that could happen, you know? What if we're supposed to be martyrs, you know? Like, why are you saying these things, right? I imagine that's the scene. And that also speaks to the reality that peace, folks, again, is not without 
It's not without worry sometimes. Worry enters in. I'm not talking about being some kind of stone-cold person who is, in, who is unaffected by the circumstances in their life. However, our identity as people who live at peace as citizens of the kingdom of God, knowing that God is able and to do the things that he has promised, we can, we can rest there, but it doesn't mean there's, there's, there's never a rub. It doesn't mean we don't have difficult circumstances. These guys are about to be killed. And this next verse is just great to me. So 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And then Abednego's like, hey, bro, you might want to chill. And then verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And that, my friends, that is living at peace. That's having an identity of peace. That's knowing that it's not about our circumstance or what we're facing. It doesn't matter what we're facing. The truth of God and who he is comes into us as a gift from him. As we practice following after him, agreeing with who he says that he is, our identity becomes that of a peaceful, rested, contented, convinced, and fully committed person who knows that God is who he says he is. And that's what these guys are doing. And again, these are young guys. For you young folks that are here in, in, the, in the mix, you got a lot of pressure in our culture right now to be one thing or another and come up with all these ideas of what's right and wrong that come from outside of what God says. And I encourage you and plead with you and implore you to seek truth as a citizen of the kingdom of God first. And all the other stuff comes behind that. Resist the urge to follow any cultural, political, whatever wave that tries to conflate God's truth with some ideology. Resist the urge. That's what these guys are doing. That leads us to our next point, is that peace is supernaturally sourced. Peace is not achieved by any other means than by receiving from God. It is necessarily intertwined with the full narrative of the gospel. I'm about to say something that some of y'all are probably going to throw stuff at me, and that's okay. won't be the first time. But there is no such thing as inner peace. It does not exist. There's no book that we can read there other than the scripture, of course. There's no book that we can read. There's no self-help that we can accomplish. There's no circumstance that we can place ourselves in that will give us true, lasting, settled peace. Peace doesn't come from within us. It comes from God. Peace is a gift to us from God. It's something that God owns. We do not. We cannot muster in ourselves peace. Certainly, we can look to have ways that we deal with the circumstances in our lives. 
We can listen to wisdom in those that are around us to help us to have peace and to, and to come up against anxiety and the practical things that come against us in this world. Certainly we can do those things and they aren't intrinsically wrong. But true, lasting peace, if any of those things point to anything other than the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is, the peace that surpasses our understanding, if anything points to anything other than that reality, we're wasting our time. And the peace will not be lasting. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds were healed. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, I didn't make that up. You thought I just made it up. (laughs) I didn't. Peace is a gift that Jesus has given us. And as we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, in exile in our culture, it's that peace that we can tap into so that we can stand when our time comes. Again, not looking for a fight or looking to be abrasive, but no, out of love and kindness, the same love and kindness that Jesus has for us when he gives us his peace. And so we can live, we can live settled, regardless of all the things that are undulating around us. And as things come and go, you know, as a parent of, of teenagers, I have, I have three, well, two teenage girls and one almost teenage girl. And I live in peace, but that doesn't mean I'm always, uh, you know, calm and chill about the, the things that are going on in the world, right? But I live settled knowing that if I commit my way, to the Lord, that he is faithful and just, right? He's faithful. It's not about me mustering peace. It's not about me coming up with a good enough formula to keep my family in order. No, no, no. It's about me trusting and receiving the peace of God and practicing peace and agreeing with God and taking on his identity and receiving from him. And the final point is that peace is God's purpose. Let's read Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, where we see the culmination of all of these things. The whole story is not even about these three guys. Yes, God loves us and he gives us his peace. He gives us our identity in him because he cares for us and he wants us to have that that rest in our lives. He wants us to have that identity. He wants us to have the ability to follow after him. Yes, he wants all of those things, but as is the entirety of the gospel, it's all about glorifying God. We look here at verse 28. Of course, after they'd been thrown in the fire, he bound them up. And this is just a hilarious part of the story. He gets the guys that are stronger than the other stronger guys and gets them to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar does. And then he takes them over to the fire and he's like, make that seven times hotter than it was before, which is just dumb. I mean, it's either it's hot enough to kill somebody. It doesn't have to be, you can't kill somebody seven times. Just one time, throw them in the fire, that's it, right? It was so hot that the guys that threw them into the fire, half of them died which seems sort of counterproductive, if you ask me, because those were the strongest of the strong guys. So Nebuchadnezzar's a little rash, you know, just a little little hot-headed, right? Throws them into the fire, and as we know, 
They were not burned. It says that they were walking around unharmed and that there was a fourth among them. Some people say it was one of the prophets. Some say it was an angel. It's, in, it's interpreted here that Nebuchadnezzar calls it an angel. Some people said that that was a theophany, when an appearance of Jesus before he came to earth. I'm not saying any one of those things are absolutely true or not true or whatever, but that's just, that's what happened. So there was a fourth among them. And then we know that they came out completely unscathed, not even smelling like fire. And after all of that happened, Nebuchadnezzar, who seems to be a little bit of an emotional cat, he said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. My friends, the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar changed, didn't it? It changed from worship this idol, I don't have time for this, is Israelite God. It changed to praise. And then he told the testimony right there in the court of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had done. And my friends, as we close today, let it be the testimony of the world around us that when they think of you, when they think of your family, when they think of your community group, when they think of Cypress Creek Church, let the world's testimony be, praise be to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise be to the God who they serve at Cypress Creek Church. Let it be so in our midst. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, thank you that you can teach us deep things of who you are through simple stories. God, I pray today that you would show me what it means to be a man who practices peace. Show us all how to be a people who agree with you and not our own ideas and not the ideas of the culture. Father, show me, show us how to be people who identify with you and you alone and not any other creed. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be connected with you regularly, that we would listen to your Holy Spirit, that we would receive the change, the love, the comfort, the reconciliation that you want to bring to us. Remove any of our ideas that have built themselves up against you. Teach me to follow you. Teach us to follow you, God. When we pray through the power of your spirit that you would supernaturally heal us and turn us away from our wicked ways and into people who understand our identity. Thank you that you have made us friends. Thank you that you no longer call us enemies, but instead you call us friends. Thank you that you have grafted us in to your kingdom as sons and daughters. Receive us now, Father. Teach us in our hearts what these words mean. In Jesus' name.